Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Thank you, Picker. I like hearing that song first thing here on Sunday morning. And good morning to all you listeners out there. My name is R.T. Lowe, and you're listening to For Your Information here on Cox Radio. For Your Information is a public affairs program that we have, and we try to have guests from our area communities that uh, affect a number of listeners. And then in this case, we have a, a great guest. His name is Justin Bauer, and he is with the Houston Galveston Area Council Environmental Planner. Did I get that right, Justin? Yes, sir. I guess I have two questions. One, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And two, what's an environmental planner? <laughs> that's, sometimes I, I've been asked that and I had to respond. That That's a real good question. <laughs> um, like I said, I, I work for the Houston Galveston Area Council. I'm an environmental planner. Essentially what I do, um, and, and actually I, I'm really enthusiastic about my job, is I, I get to go out and help the uh, the local people and the communities in our, in our 13 counties um, with issues they may be having with water quality. Um, you know, we're, we're not a regulator, um, so we're not coming and telling anyone what to do. Uh, HGAC is what they call a council of governments, which essentially means that, you know, we work on issues that are too big for any one government um, or may stretch across governments, things like transportation. You know, we've got a lot of roads that cut through many counties, or in my case, water. Um, you know, rivers don't uh, pay attention to political borders. They, they yes. flow where they're going to flow. Um, and what happens in, in a waterway can affect uh, many different jurisdictions. So one of the things HGAC does uh, is help those governments work on, on projects of, of shared interest, on things that, that impact them all. And, and as my job as, as an environmental planner, I get to work on uh, water quality and other natural resources projects. And folks, I'm going to just point out something's got on the surface not a whole lot to do with what he's uh, going to be telling us about. But one of the quickest ways to consider this on a national level would be the Colorado River coming down, uh, the Great Hoover Dam, you know, and all that. Uh, there's a lot of people that live off that water, and we thought it would last forever, but hmm, it doesn't appear to be since it's dropping. And we're trying to avoid that in Texas area, right? On That's small, true, and you know, we have sort of the dual challenge of, you know, we, we've got uh, issues with supply, you know, as Mark Twain used to say, uh, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, so we, we've always got that issue of, you know, we've got more and more people coming, and, and you know, water uh, doesn't magically appear. We, you know, it, it's a finite thing, and um, we've got to manage it well, but at the same time, we've got issues with the quality of that water. You know, it's not enough to just have enough water. You have to have water that's good enough quality to, to actually um, be able to use for, for what we use and, and be able to support, you know, the aquatic life, the fish and things that we, we uh, fish for and that we rely on as, as part of our economy. And those of us that uh, fish the Trinity River can attest that uh, we weren't careful in that river system. And now they tell you not to eat but one or two fish out of there every two weeks. Yeah, and, you know, and I think that's been part of the, the history of how, how we've looked at, at water quality. And, you know, it's 
that's why I love dealing with, with groups of, of fishermen and other recreators because they tend to be the best stewards, uh, you know, of their environment simply because they're the most directly impacted. You know, they, they know what's going on in the water and they have a, a real active interest in, in making sure that, you know, um, the, the potential threats we have to, to public health and, and the, you know, the recreation that we rely on, um, you know, are dealt with. Yeah, I, I guess we should have learned, you know, sometime a little earlier that uh, the way we've done things for 100,000, well, I guess it'd be 10,000 years of human uh, advancement, uh, dump everything in the local river and stream and it'll be washed into way uh, and never appear again. It's like magic, right? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, there's there's a, a lot more of us and a, a lot less of the water than there used to be. So <laughs> that that balance has shifted a little. And you know, like like all things, you know, it's um, you know, we we have issues, but we also have opportunities. Uh, you know, we we are a, a, a people and and a, a society with great technological advances and and great understanding now. Um, you know, the way we've done things in the past, it, it's not that we look at it and say we were horrible and we were terrible people. It's that we didn't understand fully, and now we do, and we have that, that knowledge is, is a tool, and we can use that to, to get us where we need to go in the future. And we're speaking with Justin Bauman, and I'm saying your last name correct, right? That's uh, Bauer. Bauer, excuse me. I said man that time. Uh, Bauer, and he is a senior environmental planner with the Houston-Galveston Area Council. Recently, uh, you were part of a meeting that was held over in Montgomery County uh, in uh, Conroe, talking about the uh, watershed for the West Fork of the San Jacinto River, correct? That's right, sir. We're, we're real excited to be, to be working up in, in the Montgomery County area. Um, you know, I, just anecdotally, I'm, I'm originally from rural upstate New York, and, you know, as the saying goes, I got to Texas as quick as I could. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but, uh, you know, it, there, I grew up in an area with a, a lot of trees, and, you know, I love Montgomery County. It reminds me a lot of home, and, um, you know, the water... There is it's it's a relatively good quality. It's not as as bad as as not as impacted uh, as some areas um, of the region, but you know it does have some challenges. And and we're helping some of the, the local communities to to think through, um, you know, some good voluntary solutions um, using some good data uh, to to address address those challenges. And that area over there, uh, it's obviously seen phenomenal growth over the years. Yes, sir. If you go from uh, the 80s on, it's just uh, almost exponential, the growth. And with that comes businesses and with that, all that waste, wastewater. And and uh, that's not accounting the, the cows that uh, <laughs> and, and all the other critters that throw in their uh, their part. So it's a pretty good challenge to try to, to get this water area or the watershed cleaned up you might want to tell folks the difference between a watershed and, and, and a waterway because i think a lot of people think when you say the west fork of the san jacinto river they just think of the river exactly and you know and that's one of the 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 real important pieces of, of this project and, and other efforts is you know is that general understanding of you know when you look at a river you might say well you know i'm i'm not i'm not near its banks i'm, I'm you know i'm three miles away, you know, what I do doesn't really impact that waterway. Mm -hmm. A watershed is essentially just all the land that drains to a body of water. So when it rains, um, you know, the water runs off the land. It goes into small drainage ditches or tributaries, and that eventually ends up in that waterway. So even though that waterway may not be very large itself, the amount of land that drains into that waterway could be huge. 
Yes. Um, and why that's important is, you know, everything that happens on the land ends up in the water. Um, so understanding what's going on on the land and understanding, you know, how that's entering the water and what impact that's having on the water is a really important part of our project. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to use the best science we can to, to really understand um, what sources are, you know, what the sources of bacteria and, and other pollutants are uh, and how we can potentially work with communities to help alleviate some of that. Yeah, that that would seem to be staggering in itself. What different pollutants, whether natural or unnatural, that's probably a bad terminology, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say, that uh, that goes into the water. There's uh, things from the biological creatures, and then there's things that the bio, bio, that some biological creatures create, like batteries and and oil for your cars and things, and all this goes into the watershed. Exactly, and you know it's 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 not a simple process. It was it was almost a, you know simpler back in the day when we first started looking at, at water pollution as a nation. You know the focus was really on the you know sort of what we called end of pipe. You know you you were looking at the the industrial pollutants coming out of pipes from factories. You know, there's essentially been a, a large movement over the decades to deal with that. And what we're really looking at now is what we call non-point source pollution. So essentially things that are just sort of diffuse from the land. So, you know, pet waste that washes into uh, storm sewers from, you know, urban areas or, uh, you know, bacteria f um, from fecal waste from cows or, or other sources, both natural and, as you point out, and sources from, from man-made things, overflows from sewer systems. There are, you know, a, a large number of potential sources. Uh, and one of our challenges when we're working on a, a project in a community like this is is really getting as much information um, and using the best tools that we have to understand what the potential sources are and kind of what, where the priorities are. Because when we're spending money, uh, we're trying to find resources to help communities deal with these issues. We want to make sure that money is targeted at you know the best bang for the buck, where we can get the the most reduction, um, you know, based on what that community thinks is feasible. Uh, that's uh, what we hope uh, so much of our tax money does go through, go through is the biggest bang for the buck. That's what we want. Uh, and I'm going to say this before we get to my next major question, which is uh, uh, I'd like to know about a watershed protection plan and how they're created and how you go about it. But also, just as, and I may be asking the wrong person, but has it changed the uh, the waste matter from animals, how much of it, uh, it starts out over a grass area, obviously, or, or over an earthen area, but how quickly it gets in into a concreted area, d does that affect it any? It is, and, and you know, that's that's one of the general things we look at um, for, for all areas in watershed, you know, it's this concept of impervious cover. You know, as, as you pointed out, when, when rain falls on, on grass surfaces, you know, some part of that will actually sink into the ground, some of it will flow, but it won't flow very fast because it's going through vegetation. When you have city streets, um, you know, that water flows very quickly into a waterway simply because it's not going to infiltrate into the ground. It's not going to be filtered very much. It simply is conveyed to the waterway. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the things we consider when we look at the different sources um, is, is not just how much of a pollutant it may be coming from there, but, you know, what, what's the potential, um, you know, what's the potential path for that pollutant? You know, how much of that is likely to get into the waterway? Because that really impacts what is a big source and what's not a big source. Uh, that makes sense. We're speaking with Justin Bauer, and he is the senior economic 
uh, economic environmental planner. You've got enough trouble just trying to take care of the environment. Don't need economics involved. <laughs> the Houston Galveston Area Council. Uh, as I was alluding to earlier, uh, what is a watershed protection plan? What what goes into that? And can you tell us uh, about that? Sure, Ken. And you know, there's uh, we're really excited about um, the watershed protection plan model of projects. It's a little different from the the traditional regulatory approach. You know, you, uh, people may think of um, environmental regulation as you know the, the government comes in, tells you what the problem is, tells you what you need to do to fix it, and then you pay for it. Um, the watershed protection plan is, is, a, is a very different animal. Um, it, it's, a, it's a voluntary project to start with. Um, you know, we're not a regulatory agency. It's not a regulatory project. There's nothing I can do or would want to do to force anyone to do anything. It really is a collaborative project, and the decision-making is, is on the local level. So very briefly, you know, the state looks at the, the water quality in all its waterways. Some of the waterways, if they don't meet certain uses, if they can't, um, so if they potentially are dangerous to human health or they can't support aquatic life, um, they are what we call impaired. When a waterway is impaired, something has to happen. Uh, the state has to do something about it. And one of the options that um, we can do as local communities is what's called a watershed protection plan. So essentially what happens is um, HGAC or, or another group um, we'll find some resources to come into the, the local communities um, and form a group of local stakeholders. And essentially a stakeholder is anyone who has some interest in the, in the waterway or the, or the watershed. So it could be a business or a resident or the local government. Uh, anyone who has some interest and, and actively wants to do something about water quality in the area. And we provide um, you know, data. We provide, um, you know, we facilitate the group to to uh, to have the discussion uh, revolve around you know, potential solutions and, and um, understanding the, the information. We, we do some computer modeling. But the decisions, and this is the key part of the, the Watership Protection Plan, uh, the decisions are locally based. So it's the, the local people, it's the local stakeholders who are deciding this is a good solution, this is not a good solution, this is how we want to interpret this data, um, mm. this is where we want to go forward, these are the resources we want to look at. Um, and so we take all these conversations, all these decisions, and we, we summarize it in a watershed protection plan. Um, but the point is not to have this document sit on a shelf. The point is this to, to serve as a roadmap. So a watershed protection plan is uh, essentially just a collection of um, all the information that shows that we understand where pollutants are coming from the watershed. We understand how much we need to reduce to meet the state water quality standards. And most importantly, what the local community thinks are feasible, voluntary things that we can do to do that. And we use this, this watershed protection plan then as a roadmap going forward to, to go out and find funding so that the local community doesn't have to bear the brunt uh, of all these, these solutions and to, to guide us as we move forward, um, to, to give us a schedule, to give us um, milestones that we need to, to be looking at so that we can show we're making progress. I would think... Uh the area we're talking about, the West Fork of the San Jacinto River, that's kind of a a microcosm of the whole nation's waterway system. It it starts in a rural, basically a farming, ranching community area, whether you want to consider uh, trees as part of farmland, but it is, you know, considered that. But all of those things go immediately uh, or drain immediately into a reservoir, which was Lake Conroe, right? Mm -hmm. 
and then it goes down there all the way down to the to the Gulf of Mexico by by way of Lake Houston and the uh, the interways there to the Trinity uh, Bay, right? Yes. Uh, well, it, through the San Jacinto River down into um, Galveston Bay, Galveston. Uh, part of that, that that Galveston Bay system, and then then to the the Gulf. Um, and obviously, you know, whatever's happening uh, up in this area is impacting everyone downstream. Um, so it it just shows you. Uh, why this sort of planning is so important is it's not just the area in which it's done. It's that, you know, water flows and it takes whatever it has with it. Uh, so any, everyone downstream is impacted by what happens here. Wow. That's, uh, I guess that it's, if you think about it, folks, it's even more important that we find out what's in that water and, and how it gets to where it uh, eventually goes, which is the Gulf of Mexico. We're speaking with Justin Bauer and he is a senior environmental planner for the Houston Galveston Area Council, uh, when you're talking about that kind of plan, how do you get all those diverse people? Whether we're talking about a home, maybe a homeowners association, because that that mm-hmm. area is growing like weeds, you know, as far as people are everywhere, and then out in the country where you have people farming or, or uh, raising animals, how do you get them all together? Well, RT, I, I tell you, it starts with a lot of conversations, um, as it should. Um, you know, this, this is not a top-down sort of project. It really is based on getting people engaged and, and empowered. And I know those are kind of buzzwords, but that really is what we're aiming to. Um, so a lot of, when I'm starting a project like this, a lot of it is me going out, meeting people, um, getting to understand what their interest is. Um, because we, we know that, you know, some of the people sitting around those tables, they may, they may not agree with each other. Um, you know, there may have been finger pointing in the past. Um, the whole intent of this is that we recognize that all of those stakeholders have some interest in the watershed, have some interest in their community's water. Um, and what we need to do is we need to find the common element because there's invariably something that they all share. They may agree, uh, not agree on every piece of it, um, but getting folks around the table and getting them starting to talk really breaks down a lot of those barriers and lets us focus on, you know, what's, what's that area of agreement? You know, what's something that we can all agree on? And then we take that kernel and we move forward. But getting it started, you know, it really does just involve a lot of talking and a lot of making sure that we're, we're being good communicators. Uh, instead of just telling people, you know, this is the problem, we need to go out and we need to understand it from their perspective as well. And, you know, you've got to, I guess, all these people, you have to uh, tell them you are going to be making tests in their area. And I know they would like to know what the results of those tests are. Exactly. And we try and be as, as transparent uh, as possible, not only just on these watershed projects, but on water quality data. Um, you know, HGAC is, is also uh, one of the, the main entities in the area who does water quality sampling for the state. So we have uh, about 400 sites throughout the 13 counties where we do regular sampling of water quality so that we we can provide that information to the local communities. Uh, The HGAC has a a water resources information map. Uh, Probably the easiest way is just to to Google uh, HGAC WRIM, um, where you can actually go and you can look on a map where all the, the water quality sites are. You can click on a site and you can actually see the water quality information for your area. Really? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great a w- interactive tool. Um, and, and the good thing is that you've got folks like me and, and some of the other folks here from our Clean Rivers program who are available at any point to talk to people and say, um, well, here's what the data means. Here's, here's you know, what might be going on in your area. And we encourage people to do that. Um, we encourage people to get active and involved and really understand what's going on in their community. 
I would imagine that uh, that uh, website should uh, get a lot more hits than it's getting. And honestly, I didn't know it was there. I think uh, when we finish this, I might go over there and <laughs> and, and look because that's that's a uh, a lot of data available to just the average Joe. It is, and and every year we. Uh we, we try and, and, and summarize that as part of a, a basin highlights report or a basin summary report that essentially gives a, a broad overview of what's going on for the region. But, you know, it's a big region, so being able to look at it on a local level is, is really important because that's where we live. We live on a local level. You know, I don't live in 13 counties. I live, you know, on my street. Um, and, and what we try and do to the best we can is, is, you know, get that information out to people. And, you know, RT, I'm sure you're the same way. You know, there's there's a million different causes, and there's a there's a million different things, and none of us can pay attention to all of them at once. You know, we we all sort of have a threshold of attention. Right. Um, so part of my job is is you know talking to people and making sure they're aware of this um, that they may not have been aware of otherwise, and they're aware that they have this as a tool. If you don't mind, I'll get you to give that website uh, uh, address again because I think a lot of people might be interested in in going there and just checking up on the data of the water in their area sure uh the honestly the easiest way to get there uh is just to go to google or your your browser your search engine of choice and type h g a c space w r i m it's the water resources information map uh houston galveston area council Wow, that that's that's easy to remember, folks. Uh, just Google HGAC and water. Give me that again. W R I M is in Mary. W R I M. Those. Yep. Uh, that's a lot of data you can check out, folks. And I don't know about you, but as a fisherman and stuff, I want to know about the water. I also want to know what communities are trying to do. And and that's it. We're actually the watershed for the West Fork of San Jacinto. It's a a lot of acreage, isn't it? It is. It's it's a big watershed. Um, you know, the we're looking mostly at the the West Fork between Lake Conroe and Lake Houston. Um, but not only is there the the all the area that drains into it. I mean, including Conroe, Cut and Shoot. Um, you know, a bunch of, of communities, but you also have uh, Lake Creek, which is a tributary to West Fork San Jacinto, which, you know, has its own very large watershed uh, off to the west, and Spring and Cypress Creeks um, join it just about where it hits Lake Houston. So you're talking about a pretty large part of our, our region that all ends up in this waterway, um, which includes a lot of people in a lot of areas. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts, but it all ends up being part of this one system, so it, it unifies um, the stakeholders, and, you know, we do have this common purpose. I should have probably asked you this before we went on the air, but uh, do we have any upcoming meetings of any of the area communities that people might want to attend? Well, RT, I appreciate you giving me that excellent segue. Did I give you uh, a good one there? You did. Um, we actually do have a meeting coming up. Uh, it'll be Thursday, October 6th. Uh, it is at the San Jacinto River Authority offices, which is at 1577 Dam Site Road in Conroe. Uh, it's 5:30 to 7:30. It's open to the public. Uh, we, you know, we'll have some light refreshments. We uh, welcome anyone. You don't have to have any experience with water or planning or anything. You know, we we especially like folks who are agricultural producers or you know residents who you know um, know their area really really well. Have lived there for a while. You know, that's that's fantastic to have those people along with our our local governments and and all the other groups that come. Um, we have a website. Uh, if you go to westforkwpp. 
Um, there's information on the meeting. There's information about the project. Uh, there's my contact information as well. Uh, once again, West Fork W what? West Fork W P P dot com. W T T. W P is in Peter. Oh, P is in Peter dot com. Okay. Thank you. I wanted to make sure we got that right. Uh, and. And, of course, uh, you want anybody to come to the meeting. I, I'm glad I asked you about it because that's, uh, that's not far away for a lot of people. That's the thing about Conroe, Lake Conroe area. It's kind of central to uh, most area north, northwest of Houston. Yeah, and we try and, you know, we've had meetings uh, uh, actually in the city of Conroe. Uh, we're probably going to try and, you know, as we move forward with this project over the next uh, couple years, uh, we'll probably move our meeting around just to make sure that we're convenient to as many people as we can. You know, we'll probably try to get down to more toward the Woodlands area at some point. Um, but we, we certainly welcome people um, from any walks of life who just have an interest. Um, you don't have to make any commitment or, um, you know, agree to work on the project going forward. We'd love to just hear your thoughts and ideas. Well, which brings up the next thought process to me or the next uh, step in the thought process what can we do uh, a homeowner let's say uh what can a homeowner do what what can they help with and that's a great thing to bring up because there are some you know we talk about these planning processes you know from the thirty thousand foot view you know these large areas and big water bodies but a lot of it does end up being local um you know sort of the the, the cliche saying is think globally act locally um, some of the one of the issues we have with our water is is too much fecal waste. You know, plate way of saying you know it's too much poop in the water, <laughs> um, and that comes from a lot of different sources. Some of them come from from you know the things we do on the land. So as a homeowner, you know if you have a pet, especially if you live in an urban area, you know, no one really likes thinking or talking about it. But we should be picking up after our pet. You know, it, it's not pleasant to do it, but it's more pleasant than drinking it. Um, really, yeah. you know, so it's. It's something that's important, and it ends up being a, a big source of, of this waste in the water. Um, you know, if you have a septic system, making sure that that septic system is routinely maintained. Um, septic systems that, when they fail or they're not well-maintained, can actually uh, be another big source. Um, and get involved. You know, understand what's going on with your local government, with your with your local sewer utility, if you're on sewer. Um, or, you know, personally, I'll put it a plug, get involved with our project. Get, make your voice heard, you know. Get a get a bigger place at the table. Um, that makes sense. There's there's a million things you can do on the local level. One of the things we've been talking about a lot recently is um, fats, oils, and grease. Um, you know, people who have a septic system think about this maybe a little more than some of us. But when you put fats, oils, and grease, you know, like from cooking and that sort of stuff down down the drain, that's a big source of the the sewer line blockages. And so you get enough of those, you get sewer overflowing directly into waterways that can really impact the quality of that waterway. Um, it's a much bigger issue than, than we tend to think it is. So it's a little thing, just, you know, pouring that into a can and you keep in the freezer. doesn't take but, but a minute, but it can really have a big impact down the road. Yeah, uh, for those of us that grew up in the country uh, and had a, uh, a rural septic system, uh, that's, that's kind of second nature because you don't want to go dig that up when the grease plugged everything up. Exactly. You only need that to happen once. Uh, we got to shut this down. I hate to because there's so much more I'd like to know, but to get more information out there, if you wouldn't mind, give the, your contact information, if you don't mind for you, or if it's easier, just give the websites where they can uh, get this information, the ones you mentioned earlier, and anything else you can think right off. 
sure enough, best uh, sort of one-stop shop is to go to West Fork WPP. Uh, that's West Fork WP as in Peter, P as in Peter, dot com. Um, that'll take you to our project site. There's my contact information is there. My phone number is 713-499-6653. My email and, and other stuff is on there. The link to a, a water resources information map is also on that website. Um, and, but please feel free to give me a call. We're more than happy to talk about the project and, and water quality in general. And we've been speaking to, with Mr. Justin Bauer. He is the Senior Environmental Planner for the Houston-Galveston Area Council. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know that that's your job, but, uh, you know, you're, you're working to the, the final letter of time when we do these shows, and I really uh, think that people want the information. They just don't know how to get it in most cases, and most of us are kind of lazy and would rather sit at home and read it on the Internet. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, RT, and we, we certainly appreciate you, you having us on and letting us uh, talk to your listeners. Um, you know, it's, it's really important to us to, to talk to not just, you know, local governments and people who are involved in this every day, but the, the people this actually impacts uh, in, their, in their actual lives um, because those are some of our most dedicated stakeholders and the people that, uh, whose input we really value. Well, thank you being, for being on, Justin. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. And Picker, key up that flat top. Take us on home. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.